Hello and a very warm welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday, the 6th of February 2024. And on today's podcast, we have Terry Sheehan on the East Coast, Brian Jackson's in Sydney, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. So far in 2024, then, all of the major central banks have resisted pressure in financial markets for an early reduction in interest rates. Only yesterday, the OECD called on global monetary authorities to be certain that they had beaten inflation before pulling the rate cut trigger. While last week, the IMF, having just revised stronger its 2024 global growth forecast and talked up the prospects of a soft landing, said that there'll be a greater risk to economic stability should the bank cuts too soon rather than a little too late. In the main, inflation is still falling. But the policy pushback has become more vocal in a number of countries amid signs that some prices remain uncomfortably sticky. Recent developments in the Red Sea, of course, also pose an upside threat. So given all of that, just how long might it be before key interest rates finally start to come down? So, Terry, um, to you first, then a steady Fed last week. And I guess when it comes to pushback, it would seem pretty fair to say that Powell did a good job. Yes, indeed, he did. Um, I think there's still a lot of sentiment out there that people are looking for a rate cut sooner. But uh, the chair and other Fed policymakers since then have been pretty consistent in the message that, yes, they're happy about the progress with inflation so far, but they want to be more confident. And I I think overall the outlook can be described as hawkishly optimistic. Okay, is a March cut now completely off the table, do you think, or there is still a possibility of that? Well, any decision is never completely off the table, but Mm -hmm. I do think that March would be far too soon to look for one. All right. Let me ask you about the employment numbers back end of last week. Um, If I wrote my figures down correctly here, 353,000 new jobs, more than double the consensus, well above the average we saw throughout 2023 as a whole. December revised up. Isn't it the case that the U.S. economy is almost booming? You would think that based on those numbers, but really a lot of it is um, that there have been a lot of job openings around for a long time that businesses have been unable to fill, but we've seen enough easing in the labor market supply that some of those jobs are getting filled now. Unemployment rate. I mean, how important is this to the FOMC now? I'm not held steady. Well, well 3.7% but it's expected to go up to 3.8. Wage growth also, that accelerated what I think we're at four and a half percent now. I mean, mm-hmm. Is it, I mean, is it becoming increasingly difficult, do you think, for the FOMC to actually sell the idea that interest rates need to be cut in the first place? Well, I do think that the Fed has its dual mandate. And although they are making steady progress toward the price stability side of it, they may be looking at the maximum employment side of it and saying they don't want to lower rates because they don't want to stimulate the economy mm-hmm. at this point. We don't have, you know, a uh, a lot of give in the labor supply, even with the recent uh, improvement in it. 
okay well i know you're sort of well i won't say a fan of but i know you certainly look at the uh you know the now forecast for economic growth in the states what's a early days yet clearly we only just started into into february but what are they saying about first quarter u.s growth well it's very limited but in terms of data but it's looking north of two percent which is above the fed's longer run forecast so we're actually looking at what might be a surprisingly strong force first quarter. Uh, frequently, the, the GDP data for the U.S. puts the first quarter in a, sort of a, a weaker position compared mm-hmm. to the quarters around it. But it's not looking like that's going to be the case, at least at this very early stage. So let me ask you then, let's suppose we get first quarter growth of, I don't know, given how, as you say, on the, it is very early days. Let's suppose we come in somewhere around about 3% and the inflation numbers sort of settle down a bit or perhaps dribble down a little bit more. I mean, do you think we're going to get to the stage whereby the UFM does start to believe, well, look, you know, any rate cuts this year have got to be really quite limited simply because the economy is performing well enough that the pressure on the Fed to cut rates just is, simply isn't there anymore? Well, I think the economic pressure certainly won't be as much. Uh, I mean, if the economy keeps performing at this level with rates at where they are, uh, it probably says that rates are about where they should be. Now, political pressure may be an entirely different thing in a presidential Mm -hmm. election year. And which way do you think? I mean, there's clearly some talks that Powell might want to deliver an interest rate cut ahead of the elections. Do you think yourself that the elections themselves really have any impact on what the FOMC might do? I think they will make their decisions based on the economic data. I mean, they might have personal opinions where they would like to see something that would favor whomever they do in in the political spectrum. But on the whole, I would say Fed policymakers are very careful to stay above the political fray. And and in his press briefing last week, they were always ready asking him if he would be willing to um, take another term um, or if he thought that he would get another term if uh, Trump was president. And he just he just avoided making any real response to that because I think mean, the Fed has to be very careful to about their perception, public perceptions of their new political neutrality. And I think the facts of it are pretty clear, too. OK, fair enough, I guess. And it's true. All central banks, isn't it? Independence is key if they're going to their policies are going to have any credibility at credibility at all. So, all right, I mean, my last question to you then, um, in terms of looking at financial markets, um, if I've got my futures numbers right, I mean, they're still pricing in about five, 25 basis point cuts this year. And that compares what the Fed's talking about three. So who's right? I think it's more likely the Fed's right. Um, now, one of the things that that's kind of conditional on is we will be getting revisions to our consumer price index data on Friday. And uh, last year at this time, when we got those revisions, they were less favorable about the progress made uh, in bringing down inflation. So um, another upside surprise in the revisions would definitely put the Fed on 
or keep the Fed on the path of holding rates and fewer rate cuts. So go on then, I've got to ask you, when's your call on when the first cut comes through? June. June. Okay, fair enough. Anything else from your side, Terry? Uh, no. Okay. Okay, that's great. Thank you, as always, very much for that. Um, sadly, we don't have Max Sato here today. He's busy at this very moment scribbling away about the Bank of Canada. So I'll quickly fill in him with some of the comments he's, uh, he's already sent across to me. Where are we in terms of the Bank of Canada? Uh, well, clearly they were another of the major central banks holding policy steady in January. So with their benchmark overnight target rate left at 5.0%. And indeed, it's been there, what, since July 2023. In terms of the economy and what that means for the BOC, well, November GDP turned out surprisingly strong. Their monthly figure put it up 0.2%. And that was certainly better than the market expected. It also means that absent any revisions, the December data would need to see a decline of at least 0.6% in GDP on the month if we're going to see a negative handle on fourth quarter G, and that's uh, fourth quarter GDP. And that certainly seems pretty unlikely, especially since we've got the stats guys out there currently forecasting a rise of 0.3%. So all in all, it looks almost certain now, but at least for the time being anyway, Canada has avoided a recession. Uh, the third quarter number was much weaker than expected at down 1.1% at a season adjusted annualized rate. And of course, that may well mean that perhaps there's a, a little bit less pressure on the Bank of Canada itself for a near term cut in interest rates. Anyway, I guess for uh, the BOC anyway, the main focus seems to be not so much perhaps on the GDP numbers as on what's going on with the labour market and, and particularly the degree of slack in that market. This Friday, we'll get the employment figures, which are obviously always important ever as, as ever. Um, December, we saw payrolls up, well, just 100, so essentially just flat. For January, the consensus is mixed. Employment seemed up a much stronger 14,500. But the unemployment rate is also expected to move up to 5.9% from 5.8%, so kind of something for everyone there. I guess the key in many ways is still watching the weekly average earnings figures. They jumped up to 4.1% year on year in the November data, and that was a four-month high. And we know that the Bank of Canada is still worried about what people these days call persistence in underlying inflation, particularly with regards to services. And with wage growth clearly still high, now they remain a little bit concerned about declaring victory on getting inflation down too soon. All that said, from the January policy meeting, the bank did indicate that it shifted its stance from whether rates are too high, are high enough to how long rates need to remain at current levels. So it may not be a major move, but it's certainly a, a hint of a, a shift in a more dovish direction, which is going to open the door to easing later in the year. So, so pull, out, pull all that little lot together. And what have we got? Well, March. I suspect is a little bit too early in terms of any real possibility of an interest rate cut and quite likely that applies to April as well. So June perhaps uh, still remains at this time anyway as the most likely date for when we do see the first cut coming out there. OK, to Asia then. Um, 
Bank of Japan, well, I suppose really there's not too much addition to uh, um, add to the uh, Bank of Japan stance from what Max has said in previous podcasts. They're still really waiting on what's going to come out of the wage negotiations currently taking place. And again, we won't get those for a couple of months or so yet at least. That means almost certainly that March is a non-starter in terms of the BOJ hiking interest rates. Of course, in a number of countries in Asia, we're looking at higher rates rather than lower rates. April, though, certainly remains a, a realistic possibility. And so long as the wages news is relatively favourable and inflation, of course, uh, um, comes in as a BOJ is sort of expecting the 26th of April meeting. Um, when the Bank of Japan will also be issuing some new forecasts for fiscal 2026. So from that, we'll get an idea of their long term view of inflation might be headed. That might be just about the first realistic opportunity that we could see the BOJ finally come out and begin the, the tightening shift in its policy that so many people have been looking at for so long. OK, so BOJ may be moving towards raising interest rates to Bron and China, where things, if anything, seem to be going the other way. So, Bron, I mean, Evergrande back in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. We've had the central bank unusually pre-announcing yesterday's cut in bank reserve requirements. And that, I think, if I got it right, was the largest cut since the end of uh, what, end of 2021. Of course, the stock market has been all over the place, hitting a five year low uh, in January. So, I mean, how bad are things? in China at the moment. Hello, Bron. Hello, Terry. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm back on. Can you hear me now? Yeah, sure. I kind of obviously had the problems yeah. of communications. Yeah. Yeah, please, Brian, oh, you're on. Sorry about that. No, um, I, I, I think you're right. You know the um, you know the news about Evergrande uh, when it broke, um, you know, late last month, um, you know, just definitely highlighted the ongoing uh, issues that you know the property market is causing uh, in China. It's, you know, it's been sort of the main drag on the uh, on the economy for you know going on 18 months now at least. So um, yeah, there was some sort of speculation that there'd be a, a bit of reaction to that. And uh, you know there, there could be some more uh, down the track. Um, it, it's it's sort of the interesting time of the year in China where we sort of go dark on um, you know incoming data because um, of the of the impact of the of the Lunar New Year holiday. So we won't get um, you know as, as most people know we we don't get separate data for January and February. Uh, at the start of the year, uh, they they sort of bunch them together and release them in March. So we're not going to get a lot of data over the next uh, uh, few weeks, and so we sort of have to try and um, you know figure out what what is going to happen based on on very limited information. Um, also, um, you know, next month we'll have the the National People's Congress. That's where uh, you know the China's leadership normally do uh, make announcements about. Um, you know, any changes to policy or uh, any you know, sort of broader changes and also set their economic forecasts for the year. So, yeah, it's, it's we're in a little bit of a holding pattern at the moment. 
I've got to ask you about this, say, this sort of semi-collapse in a stock market at a time when a lot of the other you know, major say, European markets, not the US market, have been moving up. I mean, the S&P has been hitting all time record highs. We've had similar um, kind of levels coming out of a number of European bosses as well. And yet we've seen these Chinese markets moving down amid signs that there have been some perhaps significant capital outflows from China. To some extent, it seems going into the likes of India. Um, how, how concerned do you think the authorities in China are about what's happening in terms of international investment now. Yeah, that's that's definitely um, you're hearing more noise about that. Um, you know, I think it turned sort of um, sometime last year where you, know, you started to see much slower uh, inflows, and now yeah, we're sort of starting to see outflows as well. And yeah, I, I do think that that's uh, you know a recognition of you know the Chinese economy has just been really sluggish for a long time now. Uh, you know. We had the pandemic. We had the COVID zero impact. We had uh, sort of measures to try and to uh, recover from that, which didn't really get momentum. And we've had this uh, ongoing, um, you know, slowdown in the property market. So there hasn't been really a lot of, um, you know, positive news coming out of the Chinese economy to make foreign investors excited. And you know, in, in contrast, yeah, there definitely is, I think, more optimism about the situation in India at the moment. They've they've had reasonably solid growth and and um, a, a lot more stable outlook, I think. So that's, you know, that's definitely going to be uh, an issue that's, in, um, you know, people in Beijing are, are thinking about. And we might, as I said at the at the NPC meetings uh, next next month, we might hear uh, a, a bit of talk about what can be done to try and, um, you know, get China back in favour with foreign investors. Okay, um, well, I guess since we've been talking about interest rate moves or prospective interest rate moves from central banks, um, we've had this move, um, well, the latest move on uh, banks' reserve requirements. What chance do you think there is them actually coming out and cutting long-term prime rate? Um, is it the case that you know, they need to do something now to underpin the stock market? Or is it the case that by cutting interest rates, they're going to undermine the currency further, so you get a further move coming out in terms of capital on that? What, what do you think that they're really thinking? about doing now to try and reassure investor confidence well i think you've identified the the issues uh with, with making a move in either direction and yeah it's it's a, it's a bit of a dilemma for them at the moment their preference i think will be to try and ride this out and uh you know tweak it here and there with reserve requirements rather than but you know not putting in a, a huge shift in in monetary policy settings mm-hmm. they would prefer i think to to not have to do that but uh, events and circumstances might force their hand. Um, yeah, and you know, as I said, it's a little bit difficult at the moment to know exactly what they might be thinking with, with the lack of data that they're going to be having uh, in the next few weeks. Um, they'll see obviously other uh, indicators, and, and um, we'll be getting reports about you know how they think things are going. But from the outside, it's hard for us to um, get a handle of it given just how opaque their communication is and the fact that we're not seeing a lot of data at the moment as well. You know, if you look at the um, the PMI surveys that we, we had over the last week or so, uh, yeah, they're nothing to, to write home about. Uh, you know, still showing pretty subdued conditions uh, in the services sector and and um, either contraction or very slow growth uh, in, in the manufacturing sector. So, you know, the, the, there's definitely the case there for um, some policy measures to support demand and activity, but you know there's other there's other constraints and variables that they have to. All right. Do it. 
Oh, interesting times. Watch this space, as they say. All right, let's shift across to your immediate part of the world down in Australia. Um, RBA last night, no change, which I guess was no surprise to really anyone. But were there any hints in the accompanying sort of you know, the forecasts and the statements as to when we might see anything coming out of the RBA? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, as people might know, the, the RBA has um, changed its uh, sort of uh, communication and and also the the scheduling of its meetings it used to used to meet uh, pretty much every month of the year except for January now it's it's meeting every uh, six or so weeks uh, and so we're and the the idea behind that was to allow for more uh, research and analysis in in the lead up to the meetings and they've also trying to improve their communication uh, uh, of of their thinking to to people and also not 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 just you know professionals and investors, but also to the general public. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was quite striking if you have a look at the the quarterly uh, monetary policy statement that, that came out with the decision yesterday. Uh, it, it's a lot more user friendly, uh, a lot more uh, clearly directed at uh, you know the general public, uh, trying to get them to uh, understand what the RBA is thinking and and why they're doing what they're doing. So that's interesting. And the other big uh, uh, innovation is that we're now having a, a, a media conference straight after the meeting. So we had, um, you know, the new governor, Michelle Bork, come out and give her first media conference after yesterday's uh, decision. And so that that was interesting. You know, you had obviously, you know, journalists uh, asking sort of gotcha questions and trying to really nail down to when people can expect their mortgage rates to, to go down. Mm-hmm. And and Governor Bork was, was pretty, uh, you know, non-committal about, you know what is going to be happening with with policy rates. She says we're not ruling anything in, we're not ruling anything out. It's, yeah, and what you'd expect a, a, a central bank official to say that you know it's going to depend on the data and it's going to depend on how we see inflation tracking and you know making no promises, et cetera, et cetera. So she she um, you know she obviously was limited in what she could say, but uh, it was definitely a um, an attempt to to uh, you know to build communication. Okay, fair enough. Um, I guess just lastly, I suppose for a while now, most investors have been talking about no cutting interest rates, RBA interest rates until the second half of this year. I mean, is that still the most likely call, do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's the we, we definitely saw uh, more chances of, of a rate being um, uh, being priced in after we had the uh, inflation numbers a few days ago. So we had uh, the, both the quarterly and the monthly inflation mm-hmm. numbers come to show that towards the end of uh, last year, um, you know, there was definitely a, a reduction in price pressures. So that's exactly obviously what the RBA wants to see. And so that was immediately reflected in financial markets pricing in a greater chance of, of some rate cuts this year. And, you know, if, if we see that trend continue, then, then definitely it, it comes into play. Um, as I said, Governor Boyk didn't want to uh, commit to that. Uh, but she's, you know, made it clear that uh, that's definitely an option uh, if if the if the numbers uh, go can go in that direction. So, um, you know, I think we were well, we're definitely seeing a lot of political pressure uh, coming uh, on the RBA, but they they're used to that, and I don't think that will be a, a huge um, uh, you know factor for them going forward. But uh, you know, we we are seeing the numbers starting to turn in the direction that would allow that to be considered. 
Okay, um, New Zealand then. Um, well, I guess I guess it's a similar sort of story there, but um, you can update us on that. But from what I've seen, it seems as if inflation clearly is coming down now. But a chunk of that's got to do with cooling overseas pressures and domestic price pressures. If any, still remain quite still remain quite strong. Is that is that a fair point? In which case, perhaps we can't really expect any move by the RBNZ. I, 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 yeah, I don't. You know, their, their next meeting is, is later in the month, and I wouldn't expect a move then. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a similar situation uh, to the RBA. If, if um, you know, if that if that positive, tr- well, yeah, if if the if the trend continues in that direction, it'll, I think it will open up the door for that to be considered at least. But um, you know, the RBNZ, it's, we're again in a pretty interesting time of the year for them as well. They they had their last meeting way back in at the end of November, and oh. they won't be again until at the end of February. So, you know, they have this sort of three-month uh, yeah, holiday over the over the southern summer uh, where you don't hear a lot of news from them. You don't really get a lot of indication of what they're thinking. And so uh, until we actually do have that meeting um, uh, later on this month uh, to, to get an update on their forecasts and uh, what, what they're thinking about the outlook, it's, it, you know, we, we're a little bit blind on, on what's going on in, in uh, can can I ask other. you on that? Sorry, can, sorry, just rudely interrupting. Can I ask you on that? Because it's quite unusual, such a big gap between central bank meetings. Looking at, you know, most of the majors, they pretty, all, they pretty all had December meetings in 2023. So, um, yeah. is it always a case the RBNZ has such a big gap? And, and well, is, is there any particular reason why they might leave such a big gap between policy decisions? Um, no, it, it's, it's it's a common, it's, it's what they do. They normally have, I think, about seven meetings uh, in in the year, and yeah, it just so happens that over the over the new year, that's when they have their big break. Uh, you know, obviously they're, they're they're not asleep at the wheel; they're still uh, monitoring <laughs> things and analysing things. But uh, you know, my suspicion is that is uh, when a lot of the senior officials you know take a bit of time off, then uh, yeah, you don't you don't hear from them. So um, you know, that's not to say that obviously if uh, important events happen or really significant data come out that you wouldn't get a response from the RBNZ, but. It, it is it is very common, you know. It is the standard practice to have that sort of big break uh, from November to February. Hmm, interesting. Right, my last question for you then. Um, apart from any else you might want to put into the pot anyway. Um, South Korea. I guess it's no great surprise, but the central bank governor, I think, made a comment last week to the effect that you know delays in um, well, the Korean, South Korean central bank interest rate cuts, uh, they could be delayed if we do see a slower pace of interest rate reductions coming out of the U.S. Um, I suppose that kind of underlies the importance of what Fed policy means for that part of the world. And I mean, is that a general statement we can stick with? I mean, is it a lot of other countries actually looking to see what the Fed's going to do before they kind of think happy about perhaps moving in the same direction? Oh, oh certainly. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's that's always a big factor right across the region. Yeah. They're, they're always, um, you know, obviously focused on uh you know what interest rate differentials could do to to the exchange rate and and the export competitiveness, uh, and just you know there there is definitely a tendency uh, to keep a very close eye on what the what the Fed's doing. Uh, you know that, that yeah that's that's certainly true. You know of of South Korea, Taiwan, and other big exporters, but you know right across the region that's that's very common. Okay, anything else from your side, Brian? Uh, no, we we have the RBI uh, later this week, so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess we'll probably uh, have to wait until they speak to get a, a, a you know an update on what's going on. Um, 
you know, I think right now the the biggest uh, issue in in India is is the the cricket against England. But um, when we see uh, uh, the the RBI statement, um, you know, they'll they'll be interesting um, to see if there's any update to what they're thinking. I, I think the 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 focus still is very much on uh, upside risks to inflation in India because the the growth numbers have been pretty solid. So I don't think that they're um, you know too worried at the moment about. Uh, what the level of policy rates is doing to uh, demand and activity in India. So, you know, for, for at least the, the short term, I, I think the inflation is still going to be the big focus. OK, excellent. Thank you very much for that. And certainly it would seem to be safe to say that the current level of RBI, RBI interest rates isn't affecting the cricket because the um, the Indians won the last test match against us. But let's move on from that to Europe then. Um, what can you say about Europe? Well, traders in Europe, like I guess around most of the other major countries, they've trimmed their interest rate cut expectations over the course of the last month or so. In terms of the ECB, uh, back end of last year, investors or at least the futures markets were looking for around about seven 25 basis point cuts during the course of 2024. Um, and even though that's been trimmed, it's still as many as five um, 25 basis point reductions. So if anything, markets are still well ahead of what the ECB kind of intimates it wants to see during the course of a year. Other banks in the, in the area, well, the Bank of England, that's now expected, according to financial markets, to reduce rates about three times, 25 basis points compared to what best part of five um, interest rate cuts expected at the same time back end of last year. So we have seen some moderation in rate cut speculation, but it's still very much in there. And it's something that both the likes of the Bank of England and the ECB have been pushing against over the course of recent weeks. Um, and I guess we can say certainly that in terms of rate cut speculation, that's reflected in you know where the bond market's been performing over here. Uh, we've seen very heavy demand at recent bond auctions out of most of the European countries as investors look to try to lock in what they at least believe will be very attractive rates. Indeed, I mean last week we saw record demand at auctions, uh, bond auctions in both Germany and in Greece as well. The fact that Greece is doing so well is um, an indication of the lack of pressures at the moment in terms of. Uh, financial stability within the, the European currency system. For the ECB itself, it's still all about inflation. And for January, the inflation numbers were good and I guess not so good. I mean, the headline numbers and indeed the core numbers are still coming down. So headline for January was 2.8 down from 2.9. The core was 3.3 after 3.4. Both though as expected. Um, but the good news is on the core is it's been declining every month since last July. However, um, and, it's, and this is something which is becoming increasingly important, I think, particularly for the European central banks. Uh, the services side of the economy, the inflation rate there was sticky at 4.0% for the third successive months. So that, in other words, is still double the ECB's target. And it really does reflect the increasing importance of the contribution of the domestic components to inflation versus what's going on overseas, particularly obviously if energy prices have come down so sharply. In terms of services, it's worth pointing out that's what about 45% of the overall consumer price basket. So what happens to domestic services is going to have a big say in what happens to inflation. So it's very much a factor that the ECB is looking at at the moment and will be a key determinant in terms of when they finally come out and cut interest rates. 
The economy itself, well, that, I guess, hasn't had too many surprises of late. Uh, the purchasing managers and other surveys suggest that it's still sort of skirting with recession. It's not technically in recession at the moment, but it's not far off. However, and again, this is another reason for being a little bit cautious about how quickly interest rates will be cut. The labour market remains remarkably tight. The unemployment rate for December, that was 6.4%, which may be a bit higher than some countries, but by Eurozone standards, that equals its all-time low. Um, So it's still a major issue for especially the hawks on the ECB's governing council with uh, wage negotiations across much of the reason still underway. Put all that little lot together, then it's still probably the best bet that we won't see a cut in ECB interest rates in March. April, some people are talking about, but I kind of wonder if that might be a bit too early as well. June, if anything, is probably rather more likely. And I guess I should mention just out of interest, for the first time ever, I think, the ECB last week reported on its artificial intelligence model, its AI model of inflation. And that showed Eurozone inflation could fall quite a lot faster than the central bank itself is expecting during the course of this year. However, as the uh, the bank's chief economist, Philip Lane, was keen to point out, there's an awful lot of uncertainty surrounding that. So at this stage, presumably, they're not attached too much weight to it. But with AI increasingly one of the great talks about markets and indeed all aspects of the economy at the moment, maybe something worthwhile keeping an eye on as we go through the rest of the year. Bank of England then. Well, I think it's fair to say that the uh, the old B of E is still grappling with how the economy in general and the labour market in particular are performing. Last week, that was reflected in the the bank's uh, monetary policy committee vote, which saw a three way split. So we had six members wanting to leave policy on hold. So bank rate at five and a quarter percent. A couple still of the hawks wanting uh, another 25 basis point increase. And one, uh, Sweated Agri, who is the main dove, actually wanting now to come out and cut interest rates by 25 basis points. So I guess it put a straight line through that little lot. It suggests a slightly more Dovish um, shift by the policy, but hardly indicative of any kind of early interest rate cut. Um, indeed, at this stage, uh, so the fact we still have some members wanting to see rates going up kind of suggests that a, a very early cut anyway is certainly off the board. Now, last week in its uh, minutes, the Bank of England hinted that it thought there might have been some easing of the labour market, which is still one of its keen, uh, one of its key uh, market watch uh, market variables to watch. Um, as we talked about on previous co- podcasts, the official statistics office here has struggled with the labour market data uh, over the last several months. But as of next week, they'll be releasing some new figures using hopefully improved sampling survey. Uh, which should give a better impression or more accurate impression of what's actually going on. Now, they came out with some initial estimates yesterday of some of the back figures. And the bottom line there was, again, if you take it at face value, it suggested that the UK unemployment rate was 3.9% in the three months of November. Now, that's down from the 4.2% which the official data previously estimated by their so-called temporary experimental statistics. So in other words, both historically speaking, the labour market remains very tight. And also, particularly from Bank of England perspective, it's tighter than they originally thought it was. 
So that could well mean, again, there was that much reason, more reason for supposing that the bank's going to be a little bit cautious about how rapidly it wants to reduce borrowing costs. All that said, of course, as we've seen in the UK, along with so many other industrialised countries, the relationship between what's going on in the labour market, what's going on with wages and inflation uh, still seems to be a little bit uneven at the moment. And so a lot of these models really don't work as well as they should do. For the, the doves, though, I should mention that we had some comments coming out of Hugh Pill yesterday. He's the Bank of England's chief economist. Um, and he said that we don't need to see underlying inflation, and that was 5.1 percent in December, get back to the 2 percent target in order to begin to reduce bank rate because we're at a restrictive level. Now, I guess Pill can be seen as a reasonably decent litmus test of what the majority of the Bank of England MPC is going to be doing over the course of coming months. The fact he's come out and suggested that, you know, bottom line is we don't need core inflation at the target level before they cut interest rates is going to get some people thinking, well, hang about as long as we see some fairly decent reductions in the rate over the next couple of months or so, we could be in the right kind of ballpark for bank rate to be restricted. So I think there's going to be a number of factors clearly influencing market sentiment over the course of the next few months. But, you know, the core CPI and how it's coming down is certainly going to be one of them. For sure, so it still seems to me unlikely we're going to see a cut in bank rate in the UK probably until at least June type time. Um, it could be we see something before then because headline inflation is certainly going to come down. So politically, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them. And of course, we do have the prospect of a general election well almost certainly before the back end of this year but the bank i think uh yeah it's going to want to play safe to make sure and get inflation which is still so far above target in the first place back down to where it should be or at least very close to where it should be before it finally acts round off my side then with europe i guess sorry with europe with the switzerland um swiss national bank favored by some as a main contender to be amongst the first to cut interest rates the next monetary policy assessment by the swiss national bank is on the 21st of march so that'll be the same date as the next bank of england meeting um but the chair jordan uh thomas jordan's recently warned that the uh, the swiss franc has been appreciating real terms so putting downside pressure on the real economy uh, VAT went up last month and electricity prices will be at least slightly higher um, during 2024. However, despite that, uh, Jordan came out and said uh, inflation, although it's likely to go up again, it shouldn't go back above 2%. And he also said that the situation was significantly better and to quote, looks pretty good. Now, by Jordan's standards, that's really quite dovish. So I think, you know, looking ahead, uh, financial markets can start thinking that the SMB could well be amongst the first to cut and it could come as early as March. Certainly, if we get some good inflation numbers in the interim, then it may well be that we'll see the Swiss National Bank finally coming out and uh, adopting a slightly more dovish approach to policy rather than amongst the most hawkish we've seen across the region. OK, then. Well, that is probably enough then as far as this edition of the podcast is concerned. In some, well, what can we say? Interest rates are certainly coming down around much of the globe, but in many cases, not just yet. And central banks in general, well, they're going to be determined not to jeopardise the, the hard won victories against inflation that they've secured to date. That said, inflation remains the key. So keep up to date with what's going on there. And of course, all the other key economic data and events in Econoday's global economic calendar. I'm Harper Terry. Brahmi, thanks as ever for tuning in. And we'll all be back again soon. Bye for now. <laughs>